Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Boy, if you're here for the first time or one of the first times, we appreciate you coming. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a new place. If you're joining us online, thanks for doing that. So my first foray out of the United States, I was uh, with a mission team. We were going to Istanbul, Turkey. We were in country about, no, a day or two. And we decided, a group of us, to go out exploring. And it's a big city, and there's a lot to see, and there was a group. And I got looking around. I lost focus on the group. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm detached. I don't know this city at all. I don't know the language. I need to stay connected to that group. And so in a scramble, I, I, I found them, and I thought, for the rest of the time I'm out, I, I, I need to keep this group in view. I need to keep my focus on them. I can look here, can look there, but I, I need to have them, because they're going to be able to get me back to my hotel. And when I saw it, it's a little bit of a picture of life. We've got a lot going on, don't we? We've got a job, we've got this, we've got kids, we've got activities, we've got, we got, we got. But we need to keep Jesus in focus, just like I need to keep that group. Otherwise, we can get lost, we can get... I want to explore that a little bit more today. Why? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to John chapter 1, we're going to go verses 1 through 18, wrestling with this question, why should we focus on Jesus? Why should we focus on Jesus? Now, as Julie said, this is the first of about, I don't have it all laid out, 32 or 33 weeks in the Gospel of John. John was a disciple of Jesus, was with him for three years in public ministry. Um... After Jesus ascended into heaven, he was part of moving the New Testament church forward, the first generation church. And he writes this probably, this gospel, 85 to 95 AD, want to get a written record down of what Jesus did so people can know. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert here. John's going to tell us in the front end why he wrote. So, so you can know what you're in for in this gospel. Here it is, John 20, verse 30, 31. This is John writing, he says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John's basically saying, hey, I spent three years with this cat, and I saw him do some amazing things. And I can't get it all written in here. But I'm going to write you some of the stuff, and here's why. It's just not for an oh-aha, for a historical thing. I came to conclusion that he was the eternal Son of God, and that in him I could have life that started now and lasted into eternity. And I'm going to try and convince you of the same thing. So, so this is what's coming. The whole thing is I, I, I've seen it, and I'm telling you, so you will put your faith in Jesus. Just so you know what we're in for. Now imagine for a second you absolutely were convinced that you had the cure for cancer. Well, man, you would be responsible to let other people know about that. I mean, it would be almost unethical for you not to tell people about it. Well, John, he's found the cure to spiritual cancer. And he's thinking, in good conscience, I can't let this slide. I need to let you know about it. So that's John's heart in writing the gospel. That's where he's going. So we start in verse 1 this way. In the beginning, there is no way 
John is not intending to connect with this with the creation story. Genesis starts in the beginning. John starts in the beginning. Why? Why does he want to make that connection? Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wants us to know that God's Word, His self-expression, Jesus, was there at creation. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've got the outline of the Trinity there. We've got the Son, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, eternally existent. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, together at creation. Two of them were mentioned. And just in case we missed it, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Now, I have in seminary different things we had to read, debates between theists and atheists and philosophy of religion, do some reading on that. So I haven't read exhaustively on the topic. But here's my observation when I read people who have an atheistic or evolutionary point of view. My opinion, they just skip the first cause question. Well, there was this primordial soup. Ah, where'd the stuff in the primordial soup come from? Well, it started, you know, there was this mass that was heated. and Where'd the mass come from and where's the heat come from? We're answering the first cause question right here. First cause, his name's Jesus. He was there. There was nothing. Jesus spoke and there was something. Verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So you and I, here's what we got in common. We owe our existence to Jesus. The reason you and I are even here or Mom and dad, no, 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 it goes way before that. It's because of Jesus. He spoke us into existence. Verse 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is kind of planned ambiguity. It sets up a conflict with light and darkness that is going to go throughout the Gospel of John. Here I think it's specifically talking about creation, Genesis 1, 2 said it was formless and void and darkness hovered. And then verse Genesis 1, 3 said, and God said, let there be light and the darkness is gone. If you've entered, ever entered a dark room and you turn on the light, what happens to the darkness? Bang, it's gone. This conflict between light and darkness, it's going to go throughout the gospel of John. Light is the revelation of God. It's the life that God gives. Darkness is the absence of God and the rejection of God. When light shows up, darkness goes away. And what John wants you to do, and what he wants me to do, is choose between light and darkness. So when I was a kid, our family took a patriotic vacation. We took about two, day, two weeks in the Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Gettysburg area. One of the things we saw in D.C., was a 555-foot stone monument that went straight up in the air. That was a monument to who? George Washington, the father of our country. And 
many think it's, he was the one that was kind of the, one, at least one, if not the architect. He, he led the army, father of our country. So we thought it was significant that we don't forget him. So we're going to put 555 feet of stone that go up in the air so we don't forget. Okay, if that's true for the father of a country who's been in existence for about 250 years, what does it say to the one who created our world? A world that's been, how long? If we honor the father of our country that way, how much more do we honor the one who brought us into existence? John's calling us to remember, you got your existence because of Jesus. Well, verse 6, it shifts. It says, there came a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all the people, all might believe through him. He was not the light. Now, John's going to we'll talk, find out about him. He's going to draw some big crowds. He's going to be clear. He's not the light. He's not the one, the giver of life. But he came to testify about the light. So why would God send a forerunner before Jesus shows up? Well, it had been 400 years since Israel had had a word from God. Malachi's lost, last prophet in the Old Testament, 400 years. Nothing from God. The people aren't accustomed to hearing from God. They're not ready. So, God sends John the Baptist to get them ready. So we were about a year out, graduating from seminary. Hope and I were. We had been accepted as missionaries to Latin America. I took French in high school. I didn't think that would help me much in Latin America. Hope had been a missionary in Russia. She knew Russian reasonably well, but we didn't think that would help her much either. So what we decided to do is we found a, another seminary student who had been a, a, a missionary in Latin America. He was home getting some training, and he had married a lady from Colombia. So we hired her for an hour a week to give us Spanish lessons. So she comes in the first day, and she's got stickers, Spanish lessons, you know. And so um, she finds an apple, and she puts... Manzana on it. And then she puts the table and she puts mesa on it. And she finds a chair and she puts silla on it. And she finds, you, you get, she, she labeled a bunch of stuff. And then she goes over the table and she says, uh, Andres, que, she picks up the apple and says, ¿Qué es esto? Lady, I have no idea what you're saying. It's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and she knows that. And so she turns around in my place and she goes, Esto es una manzana. Otra vez, Andres, ¿qué es esto? And so she began to speak and began to coach us. We were starting to get accustomed to hearing and speaking Spanish. So we graduate, we go to the institute in San Jose, Costa Rica, we have classes and we live with a Costa Rican family, but um, three times a week, we each, Hope and I each had a route, we go into a store or a shop or something, we had a text memorized and we had questions. And we would ask these people questions. And they would speak to us. And it sounded initially, when they answered, it sounded like this to me. And at the end, they would say, me entiende, which means what? Do you understand me? And I would say, oh, see, see, see. I was lying like a rug. But you know, about six weeks through, I begin to pick up a word. Then I begin to pick up a phrase. And by three months, I'd been so accustomed, I could converse. 
Do you understand that's what John the Baptist is doing? It has been 400 years since the people have heard God and he's getting them ready because God is about to speak in a very profound way with Jesus Christ. They need to be conditioned to that. So what was it about Jesus? Here it is, verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So there's, well, God, it's, he's so big, he's infinite, we're finite. God said, let me, I, I'm going I'm to make it simple for you. I'm going to bring God down on, on your level. I'm going to have him take on human flesh. Verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. It mentions the world three times. That's more than the creation. It's talking about a system Intentionally designed to exclude God. In the garden, the story of Adam and Eve, the sin was, we want to be God. We're call our own shot. And from there, we create this whole system to intentionally exclude God. You think you work with people or you know with people who want to deny God and who get upset? Yeah, well, there's a reason. There's a system built to exclude God, but God comes to that system and he gives himself, he makes himself known. He gives a, a human representation of God. Hypostatic union, big theological term to say fully God and fully human is Jesus. How bad was the rejection? Verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. His own would be the Jewish people. 1,500 or so years before Jesus God found Abraham. Abraham was a happy peg. and said, you know, I think I'm going to use you to build a nation. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to multiply, and people are going to be enlightened through you because they're going to see a mighty God at work. Well, Israel pushed back on that, and they, they, they rejected the word, God's word. They rejected the prophets. In some ways, they stoned them. They imprisoned them. Surprise, surprise. They reject Jesus. It's, it's right in line. That's a generalization. There were some. Jews and non-Jews, who, who did receive Jesus? And, 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 and John talks about them in verse 12 and 13. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Receiving Jesus, a lot of, what does that mean? It is to understand, this is why John wrote, this Jesus is the eternal son of God. He has rightful authority in my life. I'm going to receive him as that authority, trusting that he will forgive my sin and he will restore me. Now, we're going to meet all kind of folk in here who say, they see Jesus doing miraculous stuff. They think, man, I could really make that work for me. You know, I've got, a, I've got an illness. I need a job. I need a date. Jesus, would you come? Jesus isn't interested in those people. We'll see in John 2, about four weeks from now, there's some people who kind of, they want to make him king. Why do they want to make him king? Because they want Jesus to boot the occupying Romans out. No, Jesus is not interested. I'm not interested in you having me on your terms. I'm interested in you having me on my terms. If you'll do that, you will be born anew. Verse 13 talks about this born. You'll be born from above. You'll be born of God. It will be a supernatural birth that will regenerate your heart, forgive your sin, and make you responsive to God. You'll begin the process of making him 
your rightful ruler. That's not a human birth. It's a supernatural birth. It's a spiritual birth. God wants to regenerate our otherwise dead heart. So verses 14 through 18 then are just a summation of what has been said. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul Harvey tells a story. A man was home at midnight on Christmas Eve. His family was at a, a mass some kind of religious service, and there were some birds. This was in Minnesota. They were flying into the window. I thought, I want to help those birds out. So he went outside, tried to open his barn. He did it three times, and they, they flew away. He couldn't communicate with the birds. He thought, you know what the best way for me to communicate with them? If I became a bird. That'd be a big step for me to give up my human. Do you understand that's what Jesus did? Bringing down, God down to our terms. Now, let me tell you, what, what was said here, that, that God took on human flesh, that's the incarnation, big theological term, that would be a scandal to the Greeks because the Greeks thought humanity and, and, and the divine are, are separated. The material and spiritual, they're, no, 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 they come together in Jesus. The Jews were scandalized because they thought God's grace, God's glory was contained in the temple. No, 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 it's fully available now. This is literally means Jesus came and he, he set up his tent among us. And we get to participate in the glory of God. So when I was eight years old, we live in the Detroit area. The Tigers go down three to one in the series and they come back and they win three in a row and they beat the Cardinals. And I am ecstatic. My dad let us rent a TV to watch it. And then after the, the game, they go into the locker room and they're interviewing players and they're dumping champagne in their head and they're, they're throwing guys in the, the whirlpool and all kinds of stuff. And you know what I thought? This is fun. But I'd love to be right there in the locker room celebrating with those guys. Then they had a parade a couple of days later. And I thought, oh, man, I would love to be on the float waving with, with Willie Horton and Mickey Lolich and Bill Fred. And those are the players on the team. I, I, I really want to participate. But, but I experienced it at a distance. Until Jesus, we, we experienced God's glory at a distance. But now he brings us in. You can be an experience that sets up in your heart. Verse 15 goes back to John the Baptist. John testified to him, Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. Why? For he existed before me. And what's interesting is John the Baptist was born three months before Jesus. So how can you say that Jesus existed before I, well, he understands that, that Jesus was eternally existence, existent. John the Baptist began at birth. Jesus said, he's from eternity past. You know, once in a while I get a call, and somebody wants to challenge this, that Jesus is eternally existent. And I've learned to say, kind of, what's your purpose in, in making this call? Are, are you, do you want to learn or, or do you want to debate with me? Because if you want to debate, I'm not interested because I'm fully convinced that Jesus is the eternally existent God, I feel like it can turn to any page of the four Gospels, and there's something on that page that points to Jesus' eternal existence. I, I, the, 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 the evidence is overwhelming. So no, I, I'm not, and you're not going to convince me. You know, if, if you're interested and want to talk, we can have a conversation, but if you debate me, you know, don't, because I'm just convinced by what I see. Jesus is eternally existent. 
For of his fullness, verse 16, we have received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Moses had a big deal. God gave him the Ten Commandments, gave him the law. That's, that's a big deal. But what Israel showed in 1,500 years is they couldn't do it on their own. They failed miserably. And the prophet Ezekiel said there's a day coming where God's going to be within and he's going to change your heart. And he's going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And, and that's Jesus. And Jesus came with grace. Grace is unmerited favor, but it's so much more than that. It's God giving himself to us. That's what he did. Um, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. He has explained God. For 1,500 years, God was at a distance, communicating through the prophets and through the kings the writings and you'd read it. Jesus, God came in person and he said, I'm going to put God in your terms. I'm going to take on human flesh. So I met my wife in 1989 and we married in 1994. She would say I was slow. I would say I was waiting on the will of God. <laughs> but I realized I had dropped the ball and she was in Kazakhstan, Almaty, Kazakhstan, and I'd been accepted to go overseas. So I thought, I'm going to try and get my foot back in the door. So I made some calls from Greeley, Colorado to Almaty, Kazakhstan. And so I got going. And we started dating over the phone. Our relationship could progress to a point. But sometimes we, we had to come together to be in each other's presence. So that's what happened the summer of 93. We decided to date. And it's been 30 years of bliss since then, people, I tell you. But we have, don't we? Don't we have apps that you date on now, and you, you text, and you, you, you Facebook Messenger, and you, and, and that's okay. But if you're gonna have a relationship for real, you gotta be in person. Do you understand that's what God did? He was at a. Do you understand that what Jesus did? He's at a distance. Now he's in person. See, we started wrestling with this question: Why do we need to focus on Jesus? Here we go. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. It's the ultimate step in making himself known. Jesus is how God makes himself known. Jesus gives us entry to God. So, before as a pastor, I worked with a campus ministry called Campus Crusade. We had to raise our own financial support. And so I was at the initial stage of that, and I had a goal of $1,750, and I had reached $1,350. So I was about 75% of the way, but I, I was kind of stuck. And so I, a friend of mine I went to school with, I met with him, and we'd been in the dorms together for three years. He said, yeah, Andy, I'll support you. And, he, and I think he gave me 30 or 40 bucks a month. I said, do you know anybody else? He said, let me talk to my dad. I said, I know your dad's kind of up there with the Wyatt Corporation, biggest uh, actuarial firm in the world. Is like, is he the president or maybe the CEO? He said, Andy, I, I think he's both. I think he's both. And they had a big house out in East Dallas. And I had been there once because... I'd been with this guy in the dorm for three years, and we had done with friends. He was sweet mates with high school friends, so we, we knew each other well. So he talks to his dad, and his dad's all over the world. And so Pat, the son, calls me and said, hey, next Tuesday, can you come over? I will be there. So they have a prime rib dinner. I mean, it's a great dinner. And then he asked me to explain what I'm doing. And then he says, Andy, I'll tell you what. Um, I'd like to support you $200 a month. So I need $400, so he's going to take 50% of it. But he said, I can't 
I can't write a check every month. Can I write you a check for 2,400 bucks tonight? Then you call me next December and I'll send you $2,400. I think I can do that. I think I can do that, Mr. Beard. How did I get a seat at his table? He's a busy man. You just don't want. How did I get a seat at his table? His son. His son vouched, Dad, Dad, I've been in the dorms with this guy for three years. Remember, we went canoe trips together. We did this, did that. Dad, Dad would, you, you, ought to, you ought to meet this. Okay, okay. And, and how do you get a seat at God's table? How do you get there? His son. He'll vouch for, I, I know that I, I died. The guy's got some bats. I know, but I died for that. God will get you a seat at his table. So what do we do? First, if you're not sure where you stand with God, Jesus is the way back to God. His coming was, was by design. It was planned. He lived the life you and I were supposed to live. Perfect submission to the Father. Right up to the point he was in a mockery of a trial, found guilty, crucified, certified dead on a Friday, rose from a dead on Sunday. That, that was planned. That was in the will of God for you and for me. When we believe in him, he forgives our sin. If you've never trusted him, if you don't know what that looks like, please talk to me. Talk to somebody on staff. God wants to give you fullness of life that starts now and goes into eternity. But you need the forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers. Really, we define grace as, as God giving himself to us. And if all Jesus is for us is a ticket into heaven, but we've missed the point. I think Jesus came to teach us how to live. I just finished a book recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And in that book, he makes this comment about Jesus. Jesus was fiercely present. He was fiercely present. Even his incarnation speaks to his fierce. He's not going to stay at a distance. He's going to come close. And if you read the Gospels throughout his three-year journey, he was fiercely present to people. One time there was a lady who had had a, a discharge for 12 years, and she couldn't get well, and she spent money on doctors. She thought, if I could just reach out, and, and she touches Jesus' cloak, and she's healed. And it's a big crowd. And Jesus turns and goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, dude, come on. It's a big crowd. In the meantime, uh, synagogue officials come say, hey, my, my, my daughter's dying. Can you come heal her? So they're kind of, Jesus, we got to go. And Jesus won't be, won't be pushed off. She's going to find this lady and talk to her, make her understand that your faith has made you well. Then he goes on the way, and on the way, oh, she died. And Jesus says, no thing. I, I can raise her from the dead when I get there. Jesus was fiercely present with people. And my concern is we're so busy. What are we? We're, we're, how are you? I'm so, what am I? I'm so, I'm so, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. If we're so busy, we're not living like Jesus because he was really unhurried. He was really unbusy. So we're putting together a bunch of skills classes. Different Jared's teaching them and Kayla's teaching them. Different people are teaching them. It's to get us to think about how do we live in a pattern, in a rhythm that is sustainable, that we can be fiercely present with people. I'd like you to think about that. What would it look like for you to be fiercely present with people like Jesus was? So Jesus taught us how to live. He also taught us how to love. It says he came full of grace and truth. Anybody have any challenging relationships in their life? 
Okay, you guys are lying. You all do. <laughs> How do we deal with those? Well, I went to a seminar. We were at a conference together, a staff, a week ago. A couple pastors gave, and they, they put grace on the y-axis, and they put truth on the x-axis. And then this quadrant is all grace, all truth. Down here is all truth, no grace. No grace, no truth. All grace, no truth. So this guy gave example. He was a church planter, and, the, and their, their church had grown outside the homes, and they were having a service. And somebody called and said, you know, I, I think the church has lost its vision with this Sunday service. And he said, I felt my jaw clench. Now he said, if I were to answer him with all truth, no grace, it would be to shut you down. Is No, it hasn't. You're wrong. It hasn't changed. Or if I were to answer all grace, no truth, it's okay, we'll just go back to what we were doing. Neither of those were acceptable. What, he said, what would it look like to answer this man with grace and truth? So I set up a meeting and I said, God's grace means I give myself to that person first. I wanted to be vulnerable with me, so I'm going to be vulnerable with him. So I said, Pete, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you, and I'll be honest, your call set me on edge a little bit. I don't want to lose our friendship. Well, what does that do to the barriers? It drops him. He hasn't said we're, we're not, he hasn't said we're going back, but he's met him with grace. Well, that opens a conversation where Pete had just moved to Indianapolis, is where the church was, and he was lonely, and he had found friends in that house church, and now that was being taken away from him. So that's the root issue. So let's talk about other ways. That's, that's a legitimate need to belong. Pete, let's talk about how we can brainstorm how to do that. And, and he said we went forward. Meeting people full of grace and truth. Now those hard relationships that you guys lied about and denied? What would it look like to love those people full of grace and full of truth. Jesus certainly is a ticket into eternity, but he's so much more, so much more. I would argue that Jesus taught us how to live and how to love. So as a little boy, I was really into sports and I was knowing all the rules and all the stuff and all the things. When I played baseball, I was told, when you run the bases, you don't look for the ball because you can lose a step. You look out of the batter's box, you look for the first base coach, and he will tell you what to do, whether to stop at first or go to second. If you're running towards second, you got a third base coach, and he will tell you to stop or to come on. Don't look for the ball. You can lose time. Stay focused on your base coaches. See where I'm going? You go through life. You can lose a lot if you don't stay focused on your base coach, on Jesus. What's he calling to you? How's he calling you to live in that relationship? How's he calling you to show grace and truth? How's he calling you to be fiercely present? Focus on Jesus. Why should we focus on Jesus? He's God's ultimate step in revealing himself. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to humanity. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven.
We're grateful that you are God three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And you sent Jesus to take on human flesh, to walk among us, to make God known. And you gave us a blueprint of how to live, to be fiercely present, to be full of grace and truth. Lord Jesus, that we take hold of you. I pray this in your name. Amen.